You listen to 247 Real Talk. I'm your host, Julian Perry, along with my guest for this episode, Kyla Coogan. We're discussing coming out. We'll be right back. So good evening, Carla. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being a guest on 247 Real Talk. Thank you so much for having me. It's quite a pleasure. It's a pleasure. We've been trying to connect for a while to have this conversation for my audience and the world. And we're finally getting it together after that uh, short season of the NBA that uh, I know that you're quite engaged with. So um, now's a good time to chat a bit about something that's really important, I think, to the entire world. Um, and why don't we start off like this? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, either from the perspective of where you want to start your story. So either from the perspective of who Kyla is now or the beginning of Kyla. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, well, I think we should start with what it was like being Kyla growing up. And how that led to where I'm at now. That's perfect. Go ahead. Awesome. So yeah, thank thank you for uh, letting me postpone the interview so I could watch the Lakers win the championship. First of all, <laughs> I appreciate you. Yeah, except they didn't win the night you were supposed to be on, but they got it eventually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Kyla, growing up. Um, I grew up in Huntington Beach in Orange County. Uh, my whole life I've lived in California. And when I was in third grade was when I started to notice that I had an attraction to girls at school. And I was very confused about my identity and I was like the tomboy at school that had the short haircut and wore the, you know, quote, boy clothes. And I played sports at school. And yeah, it was around that time when I just started to question who I was and what my identity was. And it left me very confused. I was the scholar athlete. I worked super hard in school to get, you know, the straight A's and win all that, the awards in school. But deep down inside, I was secretly struggling. And it was because I didn't really feel like I knew who I was. And so high school came and I ended up with severe acne. I had acne all over my face, my arms, my chest, and my back. And then fast forward to college and I started having severe anxiety. When I graduated grad school was when I had a massive panic attack in a restaurant with my friends and was rushed to the hospital and felt like I was having a heart attack. And I ended up being diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. And that diagnosis happened two and a half years after I came out with my sexuality. So I ended up hiding my sexuality for over 14 years, knowing it 
in third grade and then waiting until I was 22 years old to come out to my friends and family. And what I didn't realize in my story was that the suicidal thoughts and the anxiety that smacked me in the face years after I came out. And that's what I'm seeing as a common thread in the LGBT community, that there are a lot of mental health issues manifesting for people well after they come out. And so that's kind of a snapshot of, of my story. And now I'm a life coach. So I'm helping, you know, the LGBT community really find themselves. Um, I basically take them through a process of coming out, coming home and coming alive. That's, that's a great um, sort of summary of the, yeah, the entire, you know, embodiment of, of Kyla. So let's, let's go back a bit. Cause I think that, there are many questions that the audience will have and there are many parts of the story that they'll want you to fill in as if you're willing to fill them in. Um, let's go back to school. So you're going through this realization that at that time, I guess you just feel like you're different. You know, society, you know, basically has a dominance in one way, you know, and, and you're looking at yourself and you're saying, wait a minute, you know, I feel differently. Mm-hmm. Were there were there other children around you? Two questions: Were there other children around you who you think noticed that? Maybe a best friend or something. And um, did you start to recognize others like yourself among your peers? Hmm. Well, I answer the second question first. I I I had one friend growing up that I would say looked more like me as a girl that dressed more tomboyish and we played soccer together and skateboarded together and she became one of my best friends. But everyone else, I would say all the other girls that I, that I hung out with, it was like awkward for me because I would be at sleepovers and they would try to dress me up, like change the way that I looked. I was like literally try and put different clothes on me. I also had hairy arms. So they used to like shave my arms at the sleepover. Um, and so I think being in that environment, being at these like more girly sleepovers, I never felt like I really fit in with them. So I, uh, most of my friends were guys. And so I felt a stronger bond to the boys at school um, and had a harder time connecting deeper to the girls. So, yeah, that, that's what I would say to answer kind of both of those questions. Like, I, I had one friend, I would say, um, that I could connect with on a deeper level just because I felt like we looked more like each other. But for the other girls that were a little more girly, that didn't really look like the, the typical tomboy that, that I looked like at the time, um, it was harder to connect with them. And, and again, I, was, I wasn't honest with them about, like, how I really felt. So when they would try to dress me up, shave my arms, like try to change the way that I looked. I didn't express to them out loud how uncomfortable that was for me. Like deep down inside, I absolutely hated it, but I would just laugh it off. You know, I was fine. But really like deep down inside, I wanted to be like, why, why are you trying to change me? (laughs) Like I'm already, I'm wearing what I want to wear. I look how I want to look. Like, why do I need to look any different? Okay. So that, that brings, uh, two more questions to mind. One is the one girl that you identified with uh, 
was did she have similar feelings like or she was she do you think she was experiencing the same similar feelings like you were that's part one and part two i'm thinking so you hung out a lot with the guys and i'm thinking at that age you probably had guys who expressed interest in you um and not as you know not as a buddy but as a as a girlfriend so tell me about those two things and how you handled how you handled the second one tell me about the first one yeah good question so it's interesting actually my (laughs) my friend that i referred to that was the girl you know we actually never talked about our sexuality but she actually (laughs) she lives in the same city where i live and i years later we we lost sight of each other for many years when i moved away um and years later we we met up in san diego and she actually is is out herself and so sexually she identifies similarly to me but actually has gone through uh gender transition in the last year and a half um but when we were kids we didn't talk about it so we we didn't actually have any heart-to-heart conversations about what we were really thinking inside about our sexuality and so now we we've talked about it, but that was, you know, 20 years later. <laughs> um, I think it was more of an unsaid bond between the two of us. Um, and in terms of the boys, I remember one boy that was attracted to me and that I actually felt somewhat attracted to him, but I also think it was cause I was, I was trying to force those feelings and trying to deny the feelings I was having for girls. So because I was so focused on being the athlete and competitive, I, I don't remember having a lot of guys trying to pursue me um, romantically when I was in middle school. Um, I just stayed focused on <laughs> getting good grades and doing well in school. So that wasn't much of an issue. Okay. So sounds like you, and like I guess like in most cases, sounds like you managed to make it through um, high school you know, in an environment where you can probably get away with being yourself easy and still remain inconspicuous. But now we're at college. Now we're, we're a bit more grown up and um, you're, you're an adult, so to speak. And you're around adult females and adult, adult males. Tell me about those relationships because, you know, um, as I think about not only our conversation, but the actual essence of, of who Kyla is now and, and um, the fact that you've been able to walk along this journey and, and come out where you are, I have to think about, I wonder about the challenges along the way in terms of not the fact that, because you know who you are, but mm-hmm. usually what I've seen as an onlooker is the challenges come from the, and, I, and I'll use this term, and, I, and I, I, I ask for forgiveness of my audience if they think I'm being too blunt, but the, the challenges come from the ignorance of those around. Mm-hmm. And then you go to college, and like I said, now you're adults, and now I'm assuming again that you, you at least had to have encountered some adult efforts towards you to to date and you know people who mm-hmm. didn't recognize and then that's that's part one and then part two would be you would 
possibly come across adults who recognized who Kyle is at that point and also wanted to date. And so you know, mm-hmm. you're dealing with a lot of dynamics. So I, I want to go through this and I said for two reasons, because I want the audience to really understand your story step by step so that those who identify with it are able to gain many things from the conversations, understand the similarities, maybe for some people um, clarify some things that they're going through or give them um, a certain amount of, uh, empower them to be able to handle their situation. So tell me about that stage. It was that, that tricky age. Um, you're an adult, but you're not an adult maybe, you know, in, in many ways. And your, you know, college days is, 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 you know, it's not just about academics, but it's about, you know, a lot of other things that deal with sexuality. So tell me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, actually, while you're sharing that, what, what was coming through were, were memories of high school because, what happened in high school is my, my brother actually came out with his sexuality before I did. So he's three years younger than me. And I remember in high school when he came out, he was getting bullied and he was getting followed home from school and he almost attempted suicide in our kitchen. And I think what was happening for me was that like I knew then, but I was a, terrified to come out because of what I saw happening to my brother. Right. That makes sense. So, so I, I kept waiting, you know, and then I waited until I actually waited until after college. So I was in a relationship with a guy for three and a half years in college and we were basically just really good friends and it was extremely forced on my end. And then I felt bad because I knew that it wasn't right for me, but I was scared of what everyone else was going to think because we had mutual friends. So, so pause was, there. I'm, whole... I'm going to pause you right exactly. there. And I, I forgive yeah, you for yeah. interrupting, but so you had a relationship for over three years with a guy yeah. and the, the, the thought that would come to everyone's mind listening to this and the assumption is that the, the, you said you were basically friends. So when you say relationship, um, define that because it's an interesting part. It's an important part of the whole process. So was this simply a, a, was this a, a deep relationship? Was this a relationship that was both you know, a relationship on every level, including physical or not? Yeah, it was. So it was a romantic relationship. We were in a committed relationship and, you know, it was me trying to force being with a guy at the time. I, I think I was, I would say I was attracted to him, but it was a, a more of a friendship connection. And so like sexually things were relatively forced on my end and I just kept hiding it the whole time. And he's an incredible human being. He's actually still someone I stay in touch with as a friend. Um, I care deeply about him and he treated me very, very well, but the entire relationship was forced. Like (laughs) my friends, while we were together, used to ask all the time about sex. Are you guys having sex? Are you guys having sex? And it was like, it was a really awkward conversation for me. Like I just did not feel safe telling them what I was really feeling and what I was really going through. So we stayed in the relationship for three and a half years and I waited until I graduated college and I had about six months space 
of being away. And like, basically I wrote him a note in detail. We had a phone call and he went through every emotion. It was like, he was angry and then he was happy for me and then he was sad and then he was happy, which is totally like uh, understandable that he went through all those emotions. But in the end, like he was happy for me. And, you know, I think that it was just, what was so hard was it's like, I wasn't speaking my truth. Like I was forcing something that just did not feel right. And the only reason was because I cared about what everybody else would think about it. So I was in like a, people-pleasing mindset, which is what most of the LGBT community is living in, either a state of self-sabotage or a state of people-pleasing and not speaking their truth because they're scared of what people are going to think about them. So do you think that in, in to, to a certain extent, I mean, things worked out for you, you know, in the way they did with him, but do you think to a certain extent you got off um, easy because it would have been a much more difficult uh, conversation face-to-face? Well, so we broke up in person and, uh, but I didn't tell him about my sexuality interests until I wrote it. Um, so I think if I could go back, I would have loved to redo it and be in person with him. However, you know, I handled it the best way I could at the time. And it was, it was extremely uncomfortable just to even, come out with my sexuality to have to even like announce that and like tell people that like <laughs> it's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever had to do. And so I just did what felt right for me, which was break it off, you know, in person and then take some time to reflect and write. And we did have a phone call about it. And so it was the letter and the phone call, but you know, obviously if I could go back, I would, I would have done it in person but I don't think I was ready. I don't think I was ready then. And was that the only um, relationship, you know, to that level with a male, you know, before coming out? Yes. I had gone on dates with other guys in the past, um, but that was like the longest relationship that I had. Okay. So let's, let's, let's uh, skip to, a different thought then, because I think we've pretty much uh, figured out that you managed this pretty well through college, which I have to, um, I find quite remarkable to be able to do because I remember uh, college days and those can be some tough days because depending on which college you go to and depending on the social you know, atmosphere, you know, you're sort of categorized uh, involuntarily based on your your behavior and who you hang with and that sort of thing. So um, it's that it's that process of maturing where we're partially mature and and, and um, more insensitive than mature, and, you know, and and definitely more ignorant about the truths of the world at that time. So um, yeah, I thought it was important to touch on because anyone who's going through the same thing going to college uh, may find something in your conversation that helps them through some difficult, you know, a difficult passage. Mm-hmm. Now, so you, well, before we go on, so there's anything else you want to share about your college years that you think would be empowering or helpful to someone facing the same challenge? Yeah. You know, while you were sharing that, there was a statistics that was coming through in my mind and 
I was talking to a friend about this recently and I realized that I came out the other side and I'm grateful, but in the LGBT community, LGBTQ youth are five times as likely to attempt suicide compared to their heterosexual peers. And so when I see that and I look at myself, like I beat that statistic as a kid because I knew in third grade and I'm grateful that I didn't actually go through with any suicide attempts. I thought a lot about it and I was terrified of the fact that I was having those thoughts. Um, but I'm grateful that I came out the other side of that. Um, and I don't think a lot of people are aware of that statistic and it's, it's gotten worse this year. Um, the Trevor project is a suicide hotline for LGBTQ youth and they were getting 3000 calls a week. And now this year in 2020, they're getting 6,000 calls a week from youth that are thinking about suicide. So this, and so, go ahead. Yeah. I, I want, I, I, what came to mind right away was it's very difficult to categorize and, 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 um, evaluate those calls you know, as in comparison or, or compare those calls to other years, because my next question would be, and, and we don't know if there is a dynamic there, but is the period of time that you're speaking of, you know, directly related to the, from when the pandemic started, because the pandemic has had a lot of um, negative effects and, and part of that negative effect is taking away our ability to socialize and, mm -hmm. you know, I've noticed and, I, and, I'm, and I'm making a correlation here because we've also had a lot of, and I've heard of some, et cetera, um, suicide attempts since the pandemic started, since people sort of lost their ability to socialize. We're, you know, human beings are social beings. So do you think that, and I'm asking that too, not only in the context of the pandemic, but thinking that I would like to believe, I know that myself as a person and Many people around me, and you know, I, I have friends of of uh, of mine who are who are, who, who all have you know they have different sexual preferences, and we're friends. And mm -hmm. I think that that was an evolution for me because back when I was born, I was ignorant to any of this. And you know, back when I was a kid, I shouldn't say when I was born because obviously, but when I was a kid growing up, I was ignorant to to any of this. And um, mm -hmm. um, so I wonder. If it if it's if the increase in number is is COVID, you know, as related to what I believe is a society that actually, I'm hoping, at least from my perspective, is a lot more understanding and open minded than previous years or previous times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, what I would say I'm seeing is that. There is more acceptability. However, the reason the numbers are going up based on that study from last year to this year, like doubling, is because youth in the LGBT community were then this year, they've been more forced to be at home with their families, and most families are not accepting of their sexuality. Hence, why there's, the suicide attempts have risen. So, what is COVID so related? The big, yeah, so the, I would say one of the biggest issues is that parents and families are still not accepting of their children. And so children are not, the children are not feeling safe to be home, so they're fleeing their homes, they're homeless, 
or they're attempting suicide. I mean, there's a LGBTQ center in LA. I just talked to a friend about this and they opened up their space to let kids and people in the community just come live there because there's just been a flood of people in the community that have had to flee their homes because they don't feel safe. Yeah, that's, that's pretty sad. That's sad from, and, and I have to tell you that, um, some people make me, my, my upbringing is a, a bit what we would call you know, old school. So mm-hmm. I can definitely tell you that I, you know, my parents, my mother's deceased, but my parents are older. Um, this is not, not something that they would ever identify. They're from a different generation. But mm-hmm. I find my challenges, I think, in certain ways, I think that I'm, I'm very fortunate and blessed because I think that even though I didn't walk down any you know, similar path that you did, even though, you know, at the same time, I would like to think that if that, if I had fallen into that, you know, or that category or the, or if I had experienced what you experienced or, or one of these kids are experiencing that my parents, you know, the fact that they're very old school initially might've been, might've felt blindsided or whatever and go through all the normal emotions, just as your boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, et cetera. But I would mm-hmm. like to think that ultimately they, the most important thing would have been I'm healthy, I'm alive and I'm their child. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and it's, so it's sad to hear because, you know, and this, I say this to, you know, in, 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 in my perspective of it. And as I share with the audience, I, I think that one of the worst things we can be, and I, again, I'm, I have evolved. I was not, always you know open-minded I was not always you know where I am today but we mm-hmm. need to understand that we're all human beings um, mm-hmm. we're all different even if we had the same preferences we still all be different mm-hmm. and you know it, I find it, it it really not just upsets me and I hate to say this but it kind of angers me when I hear you talk about parents that kids have to run from, that kids are not accepting, mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, you know, we don't, we, we're, we're the vessels through which life is formed, but we don't create life, so to speak. Um, mm. And, you know, to have a child, and you owe that child unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that we, you know, the, the weakness that we still have, because if you, I'm going to, I'm going to, push this conversation a little further because of where we are right now. We are in mm-hmm. a, we are, we are in a, in a society at, at this moment while we're recording this podcast, that's completely captivated by the election that just occurred. And mm-hmm. there's not much, I, you know, because of the fact that I've, you know, I've, I've done many podcasts, I've heard many opinions. I, I would like to think I've grown as a person there's not much difference between the person who would judge you or the parent who would judge those kids and people who are, who are facing the challenge or dealing with, with, with the level of racism that we see right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 sort of, it sort of all comes down to the same thing, accepting someone for who they are, the, you know, their, their, mm-hmm. their choices, whether it be their sexual preferences, the color of their skin, and I, and I say this because as I've, I've friends of mine have explained to me and as even you having this conversation of what you went through and, you know, you found yourself in third grade, you know, feeling different and going through these, these, these changes and these thoughts. We, and I say the same thing, we are born involuntarily. 
We are born mm-hmm. as who we are. Okay? Mm-hmm. You didn't get a choice as to who you were created to be. Mm-hmm. Other people didn't get a choice. You know, they, 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 didn't, they, didn't, they weren't born like transparent. And then they said, here's, you know, here's the paint chart. Pick a color. Right. And that's, you know, and so I, you know, I, I started to make a correlation between the two because I think the biggest, the bigger solution for those kids and for all the people who are being judged by other human beings is acceptance and acceptance crosses, not just, you know, the, your story about coming out, but it crosses racism, it crosses everything else. It crosses, crosses all prejudices. Yes. And, you know, and I, I'm sorry, I had to interject with that because you really brought up that thought. And, you know, we're sitting here in a very contentious election and it, and the whole, you know, the United States at least is completely divided, uh, you know, and, and it's divided for all the wrong reasons, you know. Yeah. And so I, I, it angers me that you have kids in this day and age who are, because yeah, I would like to think that if I, if I think back about all the or, or most of the major decisions I made in my life that would have some level of impact to my family, I think that the first thing you wanted somewhere in, in, in the first part of or the first phase of, of, of going through with that decision or that whatever you, or that experience, you kind of wanted the acceptance of your parents. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that is a that is that that is to me a very basic fundamental of not only family but of human beings. My father is eighty eight years old. I am I am very grown, and it's we we speak every day, maybe twice or three times a day, and I just I still make certain decisions and kind of. I want to say at this at this stage in my life, and I'm over fifty years old. So at this stage in my life, I want to say that I um, I share them with him. But as you have me thinking in this whole conversation, you certainly put me to different uh, thought processes. Maybe I'm sharing it with him, but maybe sometimes I'm still seeking his acceptance. Mm. And 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 it's it's an amazing thing to even at my age to know I can do that. And even if he disagreed, I can hear in my head right now saying, you know, I don't exactly agree with that, but you know, if you want to do it, I'll support you. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I, and I'm going to let you go on in a second to, to uh, finish up your, your, the, or the rest of the story. But I had to stop at this point, you know, to speak to all the parents out there. There is not, you know, condemnation of a child does not result in satisfaction for anyone. Mm-mm. Not for the parent, certainly not for the child. And mm. we're human beings. We're, we're, we're very complex. You can't, whatever is wrong with us, in your eyes, is right in someone else's eyes. That's number one. And if you feel this wrong in your eyes, number two, you can't take out your toolbox and fix it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, that was my rant yeah. because uh, you really, when I heard about the kids, how, you know, what, what's going on right now and the fact that, yes, it's a, it's, it's a direct result of COVID, but it's, it's actually 
kids who are sort of running from the one place they should be safe. Yeah. That immediately made me angry. And I, and I had to go on a bit of a rant. And if it was, I apologize to you and my audience. But, I, you know, this is 247 <laughs> Real Talk. And those yeah, are real thoughts, apologize. and this is real talk. You know, so anyone yeah, who doesn't want, like it. I don't even want you to apologize. I'm like, <laughs> let's go. Bring yeah. the fire. We need, we need parents to hear that message. Yes, like, it's, that it's, really it's ridiculous that you have someone that shares your DNA and your blood. And, you know, and, and, and I'll say one more thing. I'm sorry, but it came to mind again. I have to think sometimes that, not sometimes, but I'm pretty sure that for every parent, and I'm going to put them, you know, on blast, so to speak, for every parent who is unwilling to accept their child, irrespective of, there's nothing wrong with that child. That's the parent that has the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's no way that I will let my child, you may have, and don't get me wrong, you may have a parent who has dreams for their child, especially parents who come from an older generation, their, their own preconception of who their child should be, you know, is, is mm-hmm. sort of shattered in their world. Let me be real here. It's sort of shattered in their world when they, when they learn that their child has, diff, has different preferences. That's a human emotion. That's a normal reaction. But I got to say this to all those parents. Get over it. Mm-hmm. You will accept it as an initial reaction. Okay. We even understand that even the, the most loving parent in that moment of reacting to this news and trying to deal with their emotions and everything else and, and maybe their own broken dreams because a lot of parents live, you know, want to live their dreams through their children, that they go through exactly what your boyfriend went through, anger, this, that, whatever. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, that is your child. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to let my child run out in the streets and next thing you know, I'm burying my child. That's not going to happen. So, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, you know, and, and the funny thing is if we, if we sort of look at our own lives, the same parents that are judging, if they, if they look at their entire lives from as far back as they could remember, it may not be the same issue, but they probably have a lot of things in their own lives as we all do that, you know, what well, we say skeletons in the closet, that we want to leave there. So that if someone judged us on, we would probably be a disappointment to someone else. Yeah. So, you know, for all those children, I pray that they find um, some sort of um, shelter and, and protection in, in what you and your, your, your organizations and all that are offering. But mm. I will not, uh, that's a substitute. They need to find that at home. And these be made available at home. So, uh, go ahead. I'm 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 done with my. Uh, go ahead. Thank you, <laughs> thank you, thank you so much for the message and bringing the passion and the fire behind it because the message does need to be heard because these kids do need to be accepted. And I mean, when you look at it, these kids are it's they're just having feelings. It's just a feeling that they have, you know, like, and they don't have control over all the feelings they're having, you know, like I didn't have control over the feelings I was having towards girls. I couldn't change that about myself. I, I tried, <laughs> tried for many years and tried to force something else. And that all of that forcing is what caused 
so many health issues for me. Right. So, you know, like, and I, and I'm grateful that I had parents that were accepting. So that is one thing that I will say is that my mom and my dad were very, very accepting of both uh, my brother and I. In fact, my mom used to go to the, his middle school, my brother's middle school and fight to get the kids in trouble that were uh, following him home and writing notes on his back. And there were like a ton of police reports that she submitted. So my parents really fought for my brother when he was going through everything. So I'll say that I'm grateful and I've seen what it's like to be able to go home and not be safe to talk about. Um, but even with that, like it, it was still so uncomfortable to come out with my sexuality. So I can't even imagine these kids that, that are going through this right now that do not feel safe going home talking about it. That takes it to a whole other level of not feeling safe. And I could see why these kids are attempting suicide or thinking about suicide. Yeah. And, and I mean that, as I said, you know, I, for my kids, you know, um, I think you know, as, as any parents, again, I have, you know, you, you sort of go through this, um, these, these daydreaming moments, you know, like my son, he's going to, you know, when he grows up, you know, he's, he shows his interest. Now he's going to be this, he's going to be that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, if a child comes out and tells you differently, yes, it, again, I'm, let's be real, it will shatter you. It will shatter you for a moment. It will shock you for a moment. It will take mm-hmm. a moment to step back. But I'm not sure it's any different than my son you know, my son going out and I get a knock at the door and they say, you know, he, he, he just shot two people. Okay. That's really, or so all of a sudden it shattered again. My son was never like that. You know, what happened here? What, you know, or, or, or something else, you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 we, 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 at the end of the day, it, you know, I remember I'm thinking back to situations where I've gone maybe on the jury and I'm watching a situation where there's a child, you know, child, 21 years old, I think was the last one I remember, who was um, going on trial for murder. And, and it was pretty vicious murder, too. And I would have to think the way they laid it out premeditated at that. And yet, yeah. when you looked up in the, in, the, in the courtroom in the corner, there sat his mother. Now... And for the time, I, 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 didn't, I didn't end up on that jury, but for the times I went there, several days I went, every day, there sat his mother. And every day before they took him away, I, if I remember correctly, she was able to hug her child. So here you have mm-hmm. a child who's, you know, she probably had dreams of him, you know, everybody, you know, many parents, you got the son, he's going to be a football player, or he's going to become president of something or something like that. And here he is sitting in jail for murder that, that, and I, I do believe that, you know, that he was convicted and I read about it after and this, and the, and the sentence was life. And, and here you are, this mother did not give up on her child for one second. Mm-hmm. Now her dreams had to be shattered. I would think she probably cried every night. You know, I would think that she went through feelings of anger and, and dismay and whatever, and she processed that. And I think at the, to see her there every day and to see her hug her child every day, I had to think at the end of the day, after being angry and crying and you know, throwing things at the wall and this and that or whatever, it all came back down to that was her child. 
And that would always be her child. And she would be there for that child. He had to live with the consequences of the decisions he made. But she didn't seem like, you know, even in that, those dire circumstances, she did not turn her back on her child. And I think that if she could have done that, there's no excuse for any of the parents who have those children running from home, going to, you know, to find shelter elsewhere because their parents can't have a conversation, can't be accepting of, and accepting of does not mean agreeing with. It simply means accepting that that is who your child is. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you accept your child for actions that they've taken, choices that they've made, decisions they made? You know, it's... uh, it, a lot of it is, it's a reflection, right? It's like whatever their child is doing is really a, a learning opportunity, not just for the child, but for the parent. Can they accept whatever has occurred, right? Right. So, yeah, what you were sharing is really powerful. Thanks for sharing that. Well, just, just, uh, you know, I wasn't, uh, and I probably have friends who went to school with me when I was a kid who were like, really? You know, because... I mean, I think as kids growing up when I did, going to school when I did, and, you know, encountering classmates who had different choices, I think back about it, and it makes me sad in a certain way, because I think as kids, I think we get a pass because we're simply immature, but it was, you know, now that I get so angry when I think about it, it was like real stupidity, because I, I, feel, I feel a lot of emotions about it. I feel, I feel angry, I feel guilt, because when I speak to someone like yourself, and I think about the insensitive kids we were. When you explain mm-hmm. your situation, I understand how our stupid comments and our actions must have made that child feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's sort of, I think sometimes when I, de- when, I, when I look at the world now and like I have a conversation like this with you, um, I, al- I almost want to find that person or people and, you know, and, and almost seek forgiveness for my ignorance. You know, we... we but, but again, again, at the same time, I understand that's okay because that's evolving as a child from, from a child into a human being. It's who you become that has a lot more power than who you were. We can all change. You know, and that is more powerful because it, 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 if you look at who you were and who you've become, it shows your growth. It shows your acceptance. It shows your understanding of humankind. It shows your understanding of just like how none of us has the power to say that we tomorrow morning we will still be on the face of this earth none of us and we don't we don't ever put it in that context to realize that we want to have control over certain things we want certain things to be a certain way but really and truly we you know we we have very little control you know, you look at you look at people who are dealing with with the LGBT community and racism and and all these all these things, and they, they they fail to understand that whatever they they have this this concept of power and control actually doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, I've 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 you know, I'm old enough now to have you know, got up many mornings, you know, woken up many mornings and got a phone call and said, oh, guess what? This person is no longer here. And you know, the older you get, 
I'm hoping the wiser people get to understand that the joy of your life and the joy of others' life is, is, is just about acceptance to live your life and judge no other person for their lives. Mm. So um, I think that your story is, is very powerful. I think that the latter part of it here, I've dominated the conversation a bit, but I thought that I would share my thoughts too because it's important for others out there to understand that whether you agree or disagree with something, it shouldn't change the human being that you are and it shouldn't change your level of kindness and understanding and openness and love for another human being who has different choices or makes different choices or seems different from you. That has nothing. We're all different. Every single one of us is different from the next. Mm. So um, before I uh, wrap up this episode, I would like you to go deep into your thoughts and leave a message, not necessarily just to the LGBT community, but to the entire world. Because I think that people who are dealing with prejudices um, go through a lot of similar things, if it's not, even if it's not the same that you, that, that you experience. So what would you like to tell us all? Mm. Ah. Well, I went into this very briefly about the process that I take clients through, which is the process of coming out, coming home, coming alive. And that was the realization that I had was that that process of coming out, coming home, coming alive is, is actually not just the process of the LGBT community, but it's a human life cycle that all human beings experience coming out in some capacity of their life. It could be coming out and starting a whole new career. It's really any area of our life where we feel like we are ashamed of something about who we are or a decision that we've made. And we are all on the journey of trying to come home, to feel at home, to feel safe and secure within ourselves. And that third stage of coming alive, it's, uh, it's really what I feel all human beings are striving for, is to feel fully alive in every area of their life. And so what I would like to leave people with is to really do the things that make you come alive. It's Howard Thurman, his quote that like really landed for me years ago. And it really is that. It's that what's most important is that all human beings are doing the things that make them come alive because that's really what the world needs is people who have come alive. And so what I try to do with my days now is I try to structure and plan my days in a way where I am coming fully alive, like going on adventures and following like that, whatever that calling is that makes me feel the most alive. And, and so that's really, I think that would be the message just to leave people with is like, <laughs> do the thing that makes you come alive. <laughs> and that is, yes, that is great. And I think that that is so important because as the world goes forward, I mean, 
and I'm sort of going to end on this note and add, add some additional weight to, to your message. We have, we have gone through uh, something that most people, I would think, there's probably one or two left in the world because I think the previous pandemic was something around 1918. Um, so you'd need to be, you know, a hundred and something. But most of us are going through an experience that we've never gone through before. Mm-hmm. I'm in New York. I've, I watched, I, you know, I drove by hospitals where there were 18-wheeler trucks outside the hospital, you know, the trailer, and the trailers were filled with bodies. We need to understand that exactly what you're saying is so important because life is, as we say, life can be long, but life can be short. And while we have it, we need to live it and live it as who we are, not who Mm -hmm. someone else wants us to be, because there's no need to impress anyone. At the end of the day, we will, you know, like, like I watched this show, um, NCIS Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And they, there's a character in there that's the head of the office. Uh, I think her name of the show is Hedy Lang. And I heard her say to someone one day, none of us gets out of here alive. So while you're here, live it, love who you are, Live to the full potential of who you can be and don't let anyone else steal a moment of your joy because they're simply not mature enough or I'm looking for, I'm seeking another word in my head, but they simply can't come to terms with your life. If they can't, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with you. There's something wrong with them. Mm -hmm. And to the parents out there, again, I'm going to make one more plea. If you have a child who is struggling with anything, not just their sexuality, but specifically I want to say their sexuality because, you know, this is the Kyla Coogan coming out story. Mm-hmm. Embrace that child. Figure it out as a family. But never feel, never let that child feel that they cannot come home. Mm-hmm. Because what, what, awaits them out in the world without the parents who are always the protectors is far worse than anything else that they can experience. Kyle, I want to thank you so much for being on this show. This is the first of its conversation of this kind, but this is 247 Real Talk. And our guest tonight has been Kyla Coogan talking about her experience about coming out before I go is there do you want to leave any uh, information any resources that people can seek if they need help yes thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute honor to be here and have this dialogue with you and if anybody would like to connect with me you can check out my website at kyla.com that's c-u-y-l-a dot com you can also find me on Facebook and Instagram, C-U-I-L-A-C-O-O-G-A-N. I would love to connect. I'm also in the process of launching coaching programs for kids that are struggling with their sexuality and their identity because I've worked with over 300 youth over the last 10 years, and now like my soul is like pulling me back in that direction to help kids because 
as we talked about, the suicide rates are just astronomical right now. and It's needed so much. So if there's a parent listening to this or anybody that has a child that is struggling with their identity, feel free to reach out and we can connect and see if it's a good fit or if there's any resources that I can provide for you. Fantastic. Kyla, thank you so much and keep on doing what you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. I want to say a very special thank you to my guest, Kyla Coogan, for sharing her thoughts and her life story with us. Something that's so important, a conversation that this whole world needs to have. I also want to say thank you to my audience and my supporters who continue to support 247 Real Talk. I'm reminding you, you can listen to every podcast on your favorite podcast app. Or you can head over to the website, the www.247realtalk.net. If you'd like to leave me a message or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, you can also email me at podcast at 247realtalk.net. That's podcast at 247realtalk.net. Until the next time, accept each other and be good to yourselves and each other.